live in covenant. Actually, our Bible is a book of covenants divided into two sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and um, could equally be called the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so we're going to take some time talking to you about that. The name of our series is uh, Living the Good Life. How many of you want to live the good life? I surely do. Well, first of all, you have to define what the good life is. You know, there's different ideas about that. And um, you've got to find out what are the keys to living a really good life. Well, in this series, we talk about one of the most important keys, and that is knowing how to live in covenant relationship. The most important covenant in the world is clearly our covenant with God. The second most important covenant is our spouse. We're in a blood covenant with our spouse. Beyond that, there are other levels of covenant. You have a covenant with your church uh, and the people of God here. You have a covenant um, friends, and you have covenant in business relationships. But uh, we have a number of, of covenant um, relationships in life. And the more we know how to live in covenant, uh, the more we're going to truly live the good life. Now, today I'm going to talk about the covenant of our salvation. I really want you to understand that your salvation is a covenant relationship. And either you are in covenant with God or you're not. Either you're living the covenant life of salvation or you're not saved. And so how important it is that we understand covenant because it is the essence of our salvation. And you know, what does it matter what we achieve or what we do or the life we live, if we lose our own souls and we're not even saved at the end of the day, we've lost it all. And so what I'm talking about is maybe the most important subject in the Bible, the covenant of our salvation. So are you ready to learn? Yes. How many say, are you teachable? Yes. All right, good deal. Let's go to Matthew 26, verse 26, and um, let's read from the, the, from the screen. As they were eating... Jesus took some bread and blessed it. This is what's referred to as the Last Supper on the night that he was arrested and then would have been crucified the next day. He is eating with his disciples in a very important last meal meeting, uh, eating meeting. Uh, and he took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. Wow. Then he goes on to say, and he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it and gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Can you say amen? And so at the last supper... Toward the end of the evening, Jesus takes a loaf of bread and begins to break it into pieces and passes among his disciples. And he said, each one of you eat some of this because this is my body. And then he passed wine around and he said, each one of you drink some of this because this is my blood. And this blood is significant because it's the blood of the new covenant that I'm establishing with you. 
So the nature of our salvation is a blood covenant. Not every covenant is a blood covenant. There's only two blood covenants you'll probably experience in your life. The first is your salvation is indeed a blood covenant, and and, uh, that's what this morning's about. The second blood covenant is your marriage. Marriage is the only other blood covenant that you'll probably ever have in your life. You could have another blood covenant, but you're only likely to have your salvation and your spouse, and these are the two blood covenants that you and I live out and helps us to live certainly the good life. So covenant language is unique. It's a little bit strange actually. Jesus is passing bread around and said, oh by the way, this is my flesh. Then he passes around some wine and he says, this is my blood. So they're thinking, you know, what's going on here? This is covenant language. Now, they had an advantage over us there in the, the, the upper room of the Last Supper because they understood covenant language. They lived in a world of covenant relationships. And so they understood, but we have to go back and figure out why in the world would Jesus say, eat my flesh and drink my blood? It's covenant language. Today, we live in a contract society. Last Sunday, I talked to you about the difference in the nature of a contract versus a covenant. We live in a contract society, and so if you're entering into a business deal or uh, you're you're purchasing a home or it's an employment contract, you understand the nature of a contract. There's terms, people agree on the terms, you sign your name, and you both are bound by the terms of the contract. But in those days, there were few, if any, contracts that you would write out and sign, but the way life worked was covenants. And so covenants were legal instruments as sure as you and I have contracts that are legal instruments in our lives. And as sure as you and I are bound to some contract that we might have signed in our lifetime, people were bound to covenants in those days. So Jesus spoke the language of covenant. And my hope is that you and I will speak the language of covenant. In the book of John chapter 6, Jesus introduced this whole subject of covenant and um, um, entering into it. John chapter 6, and I'm going to read it off the screen beginning in verse 53. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Wow, you know, if I were to say that to you in this modern world, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'd all get up and walk out like, whoa, man, he's over the top. We're not going there with you because we don't understand covenant. We don't get it that bread replaces the flesh and wine replaces the blood. But still, I want you to notice what happened. They knew he was talking covenant language, but watch what happens. But if anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person up at the last day. He's talking about the resurrection. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, And I in him. And so, again, this is covenant language. He said, when you eat that bread and drink that wine, he said, I'm coming into you and you're coming into me. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. 
I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. So Jesus is making a salvation invitation. This is an altar call. It really is. He's wanting to know how many of you want to be saved, how many of you want to have eternal life. And if you do, all you have to do is eat my flesh and drink my blood. Hey, but the good news is we're going to replace bread with the flesh, wine for the blood. But if you will enter into this covenant relationship with me, you will have eternal life, and I will come into you, and you will come unto me, and we'll, we will be one. This is covenant language. This is covenant activity. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't have any part with me. Unless you and I today enter into a covenant with God through Jesus Christ, we'll have no part in his church and no part in his kingdom. So this is not optional. This is not some benefit or some add-on. This is the essence of salvation. A blood covenant between two parties is the closest and the most enduring and solemn and most sacred of all contracts. It absolutely cannot be broken. When you enter into a blood covenant with someone, you promise to give them your life, your love, your protection forever until death parts you. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus was offering his followers and you and I today. You see, there's a difference between a follower and a disciple. A follower and a disciple. Jesus had a lot of followers. The Bible said there were throngs that followed him. But at the end of the day, he only had a few disciples. Let's watch what happened in verse 66. As we continue to read in John chapter 6, look what happened in verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. So there's a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. Before he started talking all this covenant stuff, he had lots of people hanging around because, I mean, he's multiplying the fishes and the loaves. Wouldn't you go? He's walking on water and raising the dead. Wouldn't you hang around to see some of that stuff? But then Jesus starts talking this covenant language where we're talking about something a lot deeper, a lot more commitment, a lot more in-depth, soul-searching, giving of yourself, sacrifice. And the Bible said at this point, many of them said, I'm checking out of this deal. You've asked a little too much. You're wanting me to go someplace I don't want to go. And so the Bible says that many of them followed him no more. So let's look a little deeper at blood covenant, what it really means. Today I hope that you'll come to realize some of the benefits of your salvation. You know, if you're going to sign a contract, you want to know what the terms are. You, you want to know what it's all about. And you want to know what you're going to get out of the deal. And so I want to talk to you today about what you and I get out of the deal, this blood covenant that Jesus came to bring. As I said, the nation of Israel, as a matter of fact, all ancient societies operated on a covenant basis. And so whatever people group you study for the last many thousands of years, they all had covenants. And uh, there were unique ways that these covenants were executed or ratified. 
We call it signing the contract. And so um, when you study the history of mankind, there's a, a lot of unique cultural avenues they went down to establish a covenant relationship. In the Bible, which is the, 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 the Bible of God's people, we see nine unique symbolic steps that were taken to enter into this blood covenant. Now, they're scattered throughout the Bible. They're not giving you in, to, to you in one single location. But when you understand covenant, you can begin to put the puzzle together and really see the picture that is painted of covenant. Because this Bible is a covenant book. God gave nine major covenants to mankind, like Adam, like Abraham, like uh, David, and... Uh, uh, others that throughout the Bible he gave major covenants. So it's a covenant book. And once you learn to speak the language of covenant, soon you see covenant everywhere. And so I want to talk to you about some of these symbolic nine steps that led to a covenant relationship. Two of those steps are found in 1 Samuel chapter 18. And you may recall this is a story where David the king, David the young warrior, comes into a covenant with, with uh, the king's son, whose name was Jonathan. So Jonathan and David became extremely close friends, and they came in covenant together. David was just the son of a peasant, a young warrior. Jonathan was the son of the king. He was royalty. He was heir to the throne. But this king's son loved this peasant boy, and they came in covenant together. And if you read verses 1 through 4, there is a snapshot of the process of entering into covenant. The Bible says that the first thing that happened was they exchanged robes. So the king's son took off his coat and gave it to David. And David took off his coat and gave it to Jonathan. And you have to figure that there must have been a lot of difference in the coat of the king's son, the prince, then there was the son of David, just a poor family that he came from. But this wasn't about the value of the coat. It was about the value of the relationship and how the king's son wanted to come in relationship with the poor peasant boy, Jonathan. And so the first thing we see is there is an exchange of robes. And when they exchange robes, and you can follow me now on the slides, when they exchange robes, what happened was, he said, I am giving you all of myself, my total being, and my life I pledge to you. So when they exchanged robes, it meant something. I'm giving you all myself, my total being, and my life I am pledging to you. The next thing they did was the king's son pulled off his belt. Now my belt holds up my trousers. But... Jonathan's belt was not to hold up his trousers. His belt held his armor. That meant that the king's son carried a sword. No doubt a beautiful glistening sword, the finest that could be made. And he takes off that belt carrying his weapon, carrying his armor, and he puts it on this young boy. David would have had a sword. It wouldn't have been nearly as glistening and nearly as golden and ornately carved, but it was a sword, and so they exchanged belt. And here's what they were saying when they exchanged belts. I'm pledging to protect you and defend you. Your battles 
are my battles. And if you follow the story of David and Jonathan's life, you'll find out that from this moment forward, they fought together against their enemies. And Jonathan defended David, and David defended Jonathan, and they shared their protection. Once again, look at the uneven exchange here. You have the king's son, the heir to the throne, and he said, I'm going to protect you. And then you got this peasant boy saying, well, here's my sword. You see, when God established covenant relationship with us, it was an uneven exchange. You know, I don't have anything to give God. I don't have anything worthy of God. But he says, give me what you have, and I'll give you what I have. It's an uneven exchange. And then in this context, they would have exchanged names at some point. I move you to the book of Genesis, chapter 15, beginning in verse 1 and then picking up through verses 6 through 18. We see another cameo of a covenant ceremony, another cameo. And from this, we'll learn more about how covenants were established and what it means to us in our salvation. This is the story of Abram. Abram was a man married to Sarah. They had no children. And both of them had crossed the, line, the age line of bearing children. But God came to him and said to him, I am going to bless you and I'm going to give you children as numerous as the stars of heaven. And I'm going to give you a beautiful land for your people to live on. And this is my covenant with you. And so in verse 8, Abraham says to God, Now God, I know you promised me more children than the stars of the sky. But I just want to remind you that I don't have any children at all. And me and my wife, we're done with that. We're beyond that. We, 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 we've already passed that season of our life. We're not going to be having any more babies. Now he said, I've got a servant. He's a good man. And if you want to count him, that's fine with me. But I don't have a natural son. And, he, and God said again, I'm going to multiply you. And he said, I'm going to give you a son of your own body. And he went on to say how that Sarah was going to be a mother. And Sarah laughed and Abraham believed. But in verse 8, Abraham made a very honest and open statement to God. He said, God, how am I going to know that you're going to do this? How am I going to know that you're going to do this? I mean, this is a big grand promise and I'm all over it, but how am I really going to know this is going to happen? And so God said, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. And one of the things we're going to do is, I'm going to take part of your name and you're going to take part of my name. And so his name was Abram, God's name was Yahweh, and God extracted the H out of Yahweh and tagged it on to Abram, and now he's called Abraham, Abraham, because he just came in covenant with God. So God gave him a portion of his name, and so no longer do we call him Abram, we call him Abraham because now he's in covenant with the eternal God and he's become one with God. And from that point on, God was known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because in covenant, there's an exchange. When you and I were married to our loving spouses, we, we share a name together. 
And what happens when we share names? Let's look at, at the next slide. When we share names, what happens? Our lives and our identities are forever linked together. When you share a name, your life and your identity is forever linked together. When you share a name, every time somebody says, what's your name, Renee? And she says, Renee Clark. We are indelibly linked together because we share names. And so when you get saved, you share the name. Let me move a little faster. I'm having too much fun here today. I may not get through. So the next thing God said was, bring me an animal. And God pulled out a big knife, cut him right down the middle, and laid bloody halves out on each side, probably a lamb. And so here this bloody corcus is laying in two halves on the ground. And the Bible said darkness came over the earth and the Lord God himself began to come and walk between the bloody halves of this animal that had just been slain. In a figure eight, God went around the bloody pieces and this was one of the important steps of cutting covenant. As a matter of fact, the word covenant comes from the word berith, which means to cut. And so for there to be a blood covenant, there has to be blood. And for there to be blood, there has to be a sacrifice. And this animal loses life to establish the covenant between God and Abraham. And then God comes down and walks between those covenants. And let's see what happens. He said, I am, when you cut covenant, you say, I'm dying to myself, giving up my life to begin a new life with my covenant partner. I'm dying to myself, giving up my life to begin a new life with my covenant partner. And you're also saying, and if I fail to keep the terms of this covenant, let me become like this animal who has been split in half and laid on the ground. Now, if you'll stay with me for a little bit, we'll talk about how this applies to your marriage. Because there's blood in a marriage. And uh, that covenant is a blood covenant. Let me move on. As we continue to study the beauty of covenants and how they were established, it was also a mixing of blood. Virtually, um, the hand, some portion of it, would have been cut, and um, the two hands would have been smeared together. Maybe when you were a little boy, I don't know. Maybe you had a friend and you'd heard about this covenant deal, and you cut your hands and smeared your fingers together and had a covenant, at least until your mom found out about it. But actually, this is something that's been going on for millenniums. And men have cut themselves and then smeared the blood together, together and mixed their blood. When you and I mix blood, we become one blood and we swear allegiance all the way unto death. Now, not only did they cut themselves and then smear the blood together, but they would have mashed dirt into the wound so as to ensure that when the wound healed, there would be a permanent scar in their flesh. And that scar would have a very important mark. I love the story of Henry Stanley, who was a 19th century um, explorer in the continent of Africa. And as he was traveling through the native tribes, most of them were warlike toward one another. He had the, the, the opportunity to come in covenant with a senior warlord or chieftain and so that chieftain exchanged swords and staff with him and they cut their hands and they put dirt in the wound and then they mashed it together and 
Henry Stanley wore a scar from that chieftain and carried his staff for the rest of his adventures through Africa. And what that simply meant was that he was now one with the chieftain. And wherever he went, when other warring tribes would confront him, he would simply show them the scar and hold up the staff, and immediately they would back down. Because they realized that I'm not just fighting Henry Stanley, but I'm going to have to fight that whole chieftain and his whole nation if I do anything with him. So that scar was a protective mark. It was a symbol that testified to the world that I have a covenant partner. I may look like I'm alone, but really there's a whole lot behind me. I may, look like, I may not look very dangerous, but if you know who I'm in covenant with, you'll respect me a lot more. Well, the next thing that would happen, there would have been at some point you have to state the terms of the covenant. When you stated the terms, you'd simply be saying, all that is mine is yours, and all that is yours is mine. When a man and woman gets married in a natural sense, everything the man has now belongs to the woman, everything the woman has belongs to the man. Assets and liabilities. And so the point is that when we come into covenant, the terms are we begin to share. Whatever you owe, I'm going to help you pay. Whatever asset you have, I have now have access to. Because in a covenant relationship, the terms are we share together. You're never alone. You're never by yourself. You're never completely broke. I remember several years ago when Randon and Lindsay first were married, Randon was discovering the challenge and the pressure having to provide for a wife and a child and, and working hard and, and saving money and extra jobs. And it never seemed like enough. One day, Randon came to me and he said, Dad, man, I'm really broke. I mean, I'm broke. I've got bills and I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, I, I don't have another penny. I'm broke. I said, no, son, you're not broke. You're not broke till I'm broke. And I'm not nearly broke. So you can't be broke unless I'm broke. And I can't be broke unless you're broke. See, that's my son. We're in covenant together. And he has access to everything I have, and I have access to everything he has. And he's the steward of his, and I'm the steward of mine. But he knows he has access to anything I have. If he needs it, he can come get it. And if he has something I need, I can come get it. This weekend, he needed my truck. So I'm driving his. I see it out in the parking lot. I wash mine up. He didn't wash his. <laughs> but we're in covenant together, right? That's the terms. Then they would have planted a memorial tree, a living testimony to their relationship. That tree was a living memorial to the covenant that had been established. And then finally, they would eat a memorial meal. Bread symbolized the body. Wine would symbolize the blood. And in doing so, they would become one and literally enter into each other. Now, let me go back real fast. And let me talk to you about applying the new covenant that Jesus initiated to us by using these symbolic steps of covenant. First of all, uh, they would have exchanged robes. That meant that God took off his robe and made an exchange. Now, tell me what kind of robe would Jesus have been wearing? It would have been a robe of righteousness. It would have been a robe without spot or blemish. It would have been a robe without tear or wrinkle. It would have been a perfect robe. But God said, here, you put on mine, and I'll put on yours. The Bible says that our robes are like filthy rags. And Jesus took on my filthy rags 
put it on his body, and he went to Calvary, and he died in my stead. The fact is, when they exchanged robes, he was simply saying, we give our filthy robes to him, and he gives us robes of righteousness. You know, if you're trying to be good enough to be righteous, you're never going to get there. If you're trying to do everything just right so you'll be worthy of salvation, it's never going to happen. Salvation is a gift, and he gives us his robe of righteousness, and we hand him the filthy rags of the best we can do, which is never good enough. And then they would have exchanged belts. In that, he pledges to protect and defend us against all our enemies. All he asks is, do not deny me before men. See, I can't defend God. I, I, can't, I can't war for God. I, I can't stand and fight God's battles. So all he said was, do not deny me before men, and my Father will not deny you before the throne. But if you deny me before men, the Father will deny you before the angels. Wow. You know, God is offering us his protection. And if you want to know what his protection is right, like, just go to Psalm 91. Read that beautiful psalm and find out how much God is on our side and how that he is 24-7 watching out after us, protecting us, and guiding us. The 91st Psalm is a contract, a covenant of protection where God said, you will abide in the secret place of the Most High God. I'll cover you on, under the shadow of my wings. I'll be your shield and your buckler. You see, when you understand covenant and then you read the Bible, it just means a lot more. I mean, you just get a whole lot more out of it because you realize the Bible is the terms of the covenant. What I must do, what God promises he will do, and one of those things he promises is that he will indeed protect us. It's so important that we know the terms of our covenant. You know, if you're going to sign a covenant, you need to know what you're going to get out of it. What you're going to get out of it. Well, these are the things you get out of this new covenant. And then what about exchanging names? Well, he became the son of man, so, so you and I could become the sons of God. And there's a name exchange. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, he said that for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So when I came to Christ and I gave my heart to him and I was baptized, one of the reasons we call the name of Jesus during the baptism is because that is applying his name to my life. And he's stamping me with his name. The whole family in heaven and earth is named after Christ. Can you say amen? amen? And so in this covenant, we literally exchange names. Well, what about when he cut covenant? When he cut covenant, he was simply saying, I simply saying, I died of my sin. And he died on Calvary for my sin. So when I got saved and we exchanged this covenant, we cut covenant, I died to my sin. He died for my sin. That meant I repent of my sin. That means I denounce sin in my life. That means sin becomes my enemy from this point on. And God clothes you with righteousness. And he forgives you of your sin because of the cross of Calvary. You see, he was that lamb that was slain. 
Remember the bloody pieces that Abraham walked through? Jesus was that lamb. Calvary, the cross, was a bloody affair. And Jesus gave himself, and he died at Calvary for our sin. Now, not only was he crucified, but he was smitten with a sword. So he would have had wounds in his hands, wounds in his feet, and wounds in his side. So this covenant had scars involved. The scars were the scars put on his back when he gave his life for us. The scars was where the sword pierced his side and the nails his hands and feet. As a matter of fact, after he rose from the grave and reappeared to his disciples alive and well, on one occasion he pulled back his robe and said, put your finger in my side. You know, you might have thought that when he went to be with the Father that It had been healed, and there wouldn't have been any scar there. But this is a covenant relationship. Covenants involve scars. And so I want you to put your finger in there so you'll know I'm the one. This is not somebody else, but here's the scar. And then some years later, the apostle John would be banished to the Isle of Patmos. He would see visions from God and write down what he saw. And on one occasion, the Bible said in Revelation chapter 5, John said, And I saw a lamb that had been slain standing before God and the elders. Jesus was that lamb. And he saw him as a lamb. He saw the blood where that lamb had been slain. He saw the scars where he had been wounded. You see, the scars didn't go away. The wounds weren't closed up. The blood wasn't washed up. Because this was covenant relationship. And when John saw that lamb with the the blood and, and the scars, he said, that's my Jesus. That's my covenant partner. He's wearing the scars of my Savior. Well, they would have certainly exchanged terms of the covenant. What does this mean, the terms of the covenant? I said to you, this is a covenant book, and it's full of the covenant terms, but let me just show you one, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Here's what it said. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Remember, covenant is about exchange. And so he was rich, but became poor. So you and I who were poor could become rich. It's an uneven exchange, but that's the nature of the covenant that God established with with us. He was rich, having access to all the glory of God, living in the perfection of heaven with the Father. And yet he came to earth as man, suffered, endured, and became poor so that you and I could enjoy the blessings of heaven, the riches of heaven and all the good life that he has for us. He became poor so you and I could become rich. And what about that tree? You know how they planted a tree as a memorial? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So our tree is not a crepe myrtle, an oak or a pine. Our tree is a cross. 
And wherever you go around the world some 2,000 years later, when you see the cross, you think of Christ. Because it's the living memorial that one day God struck covenant with us, sent his son into the earth to die on a cruel tree. And that tree is a memorial of the covenant that we have with him. And then finally, they would have eaten a memorial meal. A memorial meal. I started reading to you from the Last Supper where Jesus said, take this bread and eat, and take this wine and drink, because this is the blood of the new covenant. Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant, bring a conclusion to it, to terminate that contract, and then to initiate a brand new covenant. And the way it is established is through the covenant meal. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. I'm going to need just about five or ten more minutes. Are you okay with me today? I didn't quite get it done. Here we go. Paul wrote and said, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. This is what we read from Matthew earlier. And gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So communion is a covenant meal. And from day to day, week to week, and year to year, there's nothing we do that takes us back to this covenant of our salvation like communion that we take together and we'll take here in just a few moments. You see, when we were saved, we were baptized. Our water baptism is the seal of the covenant. You get saved, the first thing you do is get water baptized. That seals the covenant. Abrahamic covenant, his seal was circumcision. His scar was circumcision. And he said, if you're not circumcised, you're not in covenant. You're not a part of me. And so it's important that we seal the covenant with our water baptism. The Holy Spirit is the sign. It's the ongoing presence of God in our hearts and lives. When we were married, the first thing we did when we were married, we exchanged rings. How many of you got a wedding ring on here this morning? That's a token of the covenant, your marriage covenant. It's a seal. It seals the covenant. And then there is the Holy Spirit that comes into our hearts and lives and, and, and abides with us. I'm going to talk to you more about the seal and the sign of your covenant marriage next week. So when you and I get saved, we're water baptized. And uh, what a blessing that is. And that's the token of our covenant. Then the Holy Spirit comes into us and abides forever. Then you and I, we enjoy a covenant meal together. Uh, the, the meal is, is a beautiful thing because it's renewing the covenant. It keeps the covenant going. When you get saved, you get baptized, and one time should do it. I've been baptized several times, but one time should do it. And so after that, you just keep eating the covenant meal. And so uh, when we take communion together, we're eating the covenant meal together. And we're renewing the covenant. That's why next week we're going to restate our vows. Because covenants need to be renewed and refreshed. 
And every time you and I eat the covenant meal together, we are renewing and refreshing the covenant. And we're saying to our wives in this, I love you. I'm glad I said I do many years ago. And I want to say I do again to the rest of my life. This will be the third time Renee and I have done something like this. And then, um, so when when you take the covenant meal, you're already saved. You're a child of God. And you're just saying, Lord, I want to thank you for the covenant. I want to remember the price you paid. And I want to say to you again, you're my Lord and my Savior. I'm unquestionably committed to you for the rest of my life. And so that's what the communion is all about. That's why we take it periodically through the years. The benefit of this covenant meal is that, first of all, if you're not saved, this is a perfect time to give your heart to the Lord and get saved at the communion coming up in just a few moments. Nothing more official, nothing more beautiful than getting saved at a a communion ceremony. There's healing release when you eat the blood and drink the, the wine. There's new life and a refreshing begins in you. If you need a fresh start and life and your walk with God, communion is a great time to make that happen. What do you have to do to take communion? Well, first of all, you need to be saved. If you're not saved, get saved during this communion. And if you are saved, clean your heart and clean your life. Make a new commitment. If there's something you need to repent of, do so. If there's something you need to recommit to the Lord, do so. If there's a vow that you've made to the Lord, say again what that vow is and how you're going to keep that vow. And get just a fresh new start. Maybe you promised God something and you've been a little slack. It's time to step up and to keep that promise that you made to God. Because that's what being covenant is all about. So I've talked to you about the covenant of your salvation. And now I've ended where we started with the communion, which is the centerpiece of establishing a covenant and continuing in covenant. So all over the world, believers in Christ that are trusting Him for their salvation, depending on the new covenant for their eternity, meet together like you and I here today, and we take the covenant meal. We renew our hearts and lives to Christ. And say again, thank you, Father, for sending your Son to establish this blood covenant with us. Now, if you haven't gotten the communion elements, looks like this. Raise your hand. These men are racing around the congregation right now to make sure everybody's been served. I encourage you to go ahead and pull that first little cellophane clear top off. That exposes a tiny little wafer or a tiny little piece of bread. Get that out and get it ready. The next container will open it so you can drink uh, the fruit of the vine. All right? Just about one more hand up. It's, they're coming quickly. Some over here on this side over here. That's it, guys. Thank you for doing a great job today. Now, everybody's open to take this communion. Nobody's excluded. Just remember that if you haven't committed your life to Christ and come in covenant with Him, you need to do so right now. Remember those people that left Jesus when He started talking about all that covenant language? He was asking them for commitment that they weren't willing to make. If you're ready to make that kind of a commitment, you can get saved today in the context of this covenant meal. Father, we bless this tiny portion of bread and this tiny bit of wine. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as it comes into our being, that it would give us life and health, strength, renewing and refreshing. Come into us as we come into you. 
become one with us. We renew our covenant vow to you today. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here today and you've never committed your life to Christ, this is the most beautiful moment for you to do so. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. If you'll repeat this prayer with us, make this commitment from your heart. The beauty of salvation will happen right where you sit in that moment. All you have to do is repeat this prayer and mean it from the depth of your heart. God will do the rest. A miracle will take place on the inside of you. So we're all going to repeat the prayer. Some of you are repeating it in a way that is making the difference in your salvation. So pray this prayer with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We humbly ask you to forgive us of all of our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I repent of sin and I embrace you as the Lord of my life. From this moment forward, I am yours. I will be your son and your daughter. I will live for you with all of my heart. Thank you for saving me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I ask this by faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together. Now take this bread and eat, for it is the body of the Lord. And when he gave us these instructions, he simply said, eat it in remembrance of me. So let's eat it together, remembering the Lord's suffering. And then having passed the bread, he took a glass of wine and drank from it and then passed it among his disciples. And he said to them, all of you drink from this, for this is the blood of the new covenant that is shed for you. Let's drink it in remembrance of him. Now let each one of us that have entered into covenant with him give thanks to him. From your heart, open your mouth and give thanks to him. I thank you for your sacrifice, your willingness to die for my salvation. Words fail us, oh God. Words completely fail us to give thanks to you for the riches of this covenant relationship. I renew myself to you again today. I am yours. I always will be. My life is your life. My heart is your heart. My hands are your hands. Do with me what you will. I renew my vow to you today. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can pass your cup to the end of the aisle. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward.
you're here today and you need prayer or ministry for anything, we want to invite you to come forward. If a moment ago you gave your heart to the Lord for the first time, or maybe you renewed your commitment to Him, if you'll come down to the altar, um, just tell somebody what happened. Let them pray with you and celebrate the good thing that's happened in your heart. This altar is open. If you need healing in your body, if you need help in your career or your business, if you've got issues with your family that you're asking God to help you with, this altar is open for you. We want to invite you to come forward. It's not about doctrine or denomination or even whether you're saved or not. It's just about, do you need help from God? You'll come down, we'll pray with you, and God will touch you where you need Him the most. So this altar is open. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you need from God, we'll be happy to pray with you here today. How many of you are glad to be living in covenant with the Lord through Jesus Christ? Thank God for our covenant with Him. May the Lord bless and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and give you peace. May goodness and mercy follow you wherever you go. May everything your hands touched be blessed. May the goodness of God abound in every area of your life. And may you live to the fullest the benefits of our covenant with Him. I bless you all in the name of Jesus. God bless you. I love you. Thank you for being here today. And if you need prayer ministry, come forward right now.